Welcome to People and Purpose, a monthly podcast series brought to you by the Community Impact Program of global top-tier law firm King of Wood Mallisons. People and Purpose talks to leaders in the social impact sector who are creating positive social change and addressing major justice challenges, objectives which underpin the Community Impact Program of KWM. The podcast seeks to spark a conversation about structural causes of poverty and inequality and generate ideas to help alleviate those global problems. Technology and innovation is increasingly seen as a key enabler for meeting legal needs and providing citizen-centred services by enhancing access to information, facilitating provision of legal and justice services and enabling integrated access to services in the justice sector. Tech, innovation and even human-centred design thinking is often being used to automate current processes and make them more efficient and accessible to citizens and businesses, create new pathways to justice and provide direct access to justice services. My name is Dan Creasy and I'm the Head of Pro Bono and Community Impact at Kinglewood Mallisons. In this episode of People and Purpose, I had the privilege of speaking with Kate Fazio, who is Head of Innovation and Engagement at Justice Connect, a strategic community partner of KWM. Kate is a changemaker in the legal assistance sector. As a lawyer, technologist and journalist with a Masters in Social Impact, Kate brings a uniquely intersectional lens to her work to improve access to justice in Australia. Through her role at Justice Connect, Kate leads an interdisciplinary team that develops products and strategies to increase access to justice. Kate designed and implemented the Justice Connect Gateway project with supporters including Google, digitally transforming Justice Connect services from end to end. The Gateway project has significantly improved the experience of applying for help at Justice Connect, has increased access to help, self-help resources, and has significantly increased the volume of pro bono referrals made by Justice Connect to its network of 10,000 pro bono lawyers through the development and implementation of the pro bono portal. The pro bono portal played a central role in the Australian legal sector response to the Australian 2020 bushfires and the COVID-19 pandemic, and the platform is now being rolled out internationally through the global pro bono portal project with pilots underway in the UK and Ireland. Kate has won many awards for her work, transforming justice, including the 2020 Telstra Business Women's Award for Purpose and the 2019 Victorian Premier's Design Award in Service Delivery. Kate is globally recognised as a thought leader in legal service transformation and regularly speaks at international conferences. Kate is also an alumna of King and Wood Mallisons and a friend of mine. We live in adjacent suburbs, but because of COVID-19, we recorded this podcast from the safety of our respective home offices. I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, it's really fantastic uh, to be able to speak with uh, Kate Fazio today. Kate, welcome uh, to People and Purpose. Thanks, Dan. It's my pleasure to be here. Let's start today by talking about your role uh, at Justice Connect. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what you do and, and what a typical day looks like for you? Sure. So my role at Justice Connect is Head of Innovation and Engagement. It's a role that I've had there for about two years, but I have been at Justice Connect for over eight years now, which feels like a very long time. Um, And in that eight-year time period, I've held various roles, but they've all had a focus on 
providing legal assistance at scale using novel and technologically driven approaches. In my current role, um, I'm very interested in these questions of how Justice Connect can provide legal assistance at scale. And I also oversee Justice Connect's communications team and our fundraising team as well. So an average day at Justice Connect could really be almost anything, given the breadth of the portfolio that I'm looking after. Um, but it will generally include a number of interesting conversations and product development meetings around the key products that my team is developing and managing at Justice Connect. So we have an interdisciplinary development team that builds and maintains a whole range of technology products that support access to justice. And then I'm also having lots of meetings and conversations around how Justice Connect can do more and work really hard to be doing strategic engagement and consumer outreach so that our services are having the biggest impact that they can possible. In, in the times we find ourselves in now, these questions around consumer outreach are particularly interesting because many services aren't running face-to-face. -face, so we're really interested in exploring how can we reach out to the very many Australians that have unmet legal needs currently? How do we connect up to them in digital spaces? How do we let them know that they have legal rights, legal remedies, and that there might be free legal services that they can access in these digital settings? Terrific. Thanks, Kate. Not, not a small role uh, that you take on at Justice Connect. And as um, some of our listeners will know, KWM is really proud to be uh, a strategic member of Justice, Justice Connect and the work that it's doing. And like you, we are also very interested in equal justice and technology. Um, and I want to I move on to a, a quote that I saw recently, um, which said that the legal profession is in the middle of what's being referred to as the next industrial revolution. Do you agree with that statement? Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, Dan. I, I think almost every industry and system in the world is transforming in one way or another at the moment, much as systems and social structures did around the Industrial Revolution. I, I think we're seeing that transformation happening in health, in transport, in government, in retail, and it's happening at different speeds in those different sectors. I think the legal sector has been generally slower to get started in that transformation to respond to the really dynamic environment that the world is at the moment and the many external factors that are changing. Um, however, I'd say well and truly the legal sector, the legal industry, legal institutions have realised that change is coming whether they like it or not uh, and that they will need to adapt because the world is changing uh, and the law is a is a pillar of our of our social structures of the way that we the way that the world is structured and when the world is changing the law needs to change with it i think that um in general that's a good thing that this change is coming i think the law is not working for many people and it hasn't worked for many people. I think that we have a fiction that the that we have access to justice, that, that everyone is equal before the law, but that that is nothing but a fiction. Each year, 8 million Australians have a legal problem and half of them won't access 
any assistance in relation to their problem. We also know we've got really good data that legal problems lead to and compound disadvantage. And I think, and I, I know that um, many lawyers think that it's unacceptable that we have a legal system that works for the few who can afford to engage with it rather than a system that works for all. So I think this revolution is driven by many things, but I hope that it will address this issue as one of the things that it addresses. And, and Kate, that's um, a really interesting point and a good segue into some of the questions I really wanted to ask you around the role of technology in enabling access to justice. So in, in what ways can technology, from your perspective, facilitate access to, say, legal information and legal aware awareness of citizens? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think wrapped up in their high experience of legal problems in Australia is generally a low understanding in the community of the fact that many problems in life have a legal dimension and that a problem that might on its face not necessarily appear to be legal might actually have a legal remedy. Things like problems around debt and housing may actually have a legal component to them but if people don't really understand the way that the law works and hangs together, then they're not going to understand that they may actually have a right or a remedy that can help them resolve their life problem. Uh, and so that underpins the need for the average person to have better awareness of the law, have better awareness of how the law applies to their personal circumstances and their experience of the world. Um, Traditionally, we have in the legal assistance sector run legal education programs, we've put brochures in libraries, we've tried to visit schools and increase awareness of the law, but generally a lot of these programs haven't been particularly effective uh, and when we see people with these really um, these big legal problems that have reached crisis point before they engage with a lawyer, it shows us that people really don't understand the law very well. Um, so there's a really interesting opportunity here to better explain the law to the average person and not just explain the law but explain how to access the law, how to access those rights and remedies that you might have. And technology has a role to play here but it, in my view it's not necessarily... Um, really fancy or sophisticated technology. It's actually more about how we are harnessing the normal technology that people are engaging with in their day-to-day -day lives to meet people where they're at, to use language and approaches to communication that they're used to, to engage with them in a way that's gonna cut through. So something we're really interested in at Justice Connect is looking at how are we using web content? How are we using social media? How are we using closed group advocate-based marketing strategies to reach into communities and to provide legal content in a way that those communities will then share with each other and do that work for us? Um, because that's a much more effective route to getting people to disseminate this information and really engage with it. And then building on that point then about leaning into communities to provide them with information, are there some successful examples you've seen in recent times, particularly as they relate to the access to justice sector? Yeah, there's, 
there's a few different examples that come to mind and some of them are, are about this information piece and some of them are about actually giving people tools so that they can take that next step and actually access a service or um, take some steps with respect to their rights. And in the United States, there's probably the most activity in this space, I would say. Um, there, there's been a program in the United States called the Technology Initiatives Grant, which has been running for quite some time now. And so there's been a lot of work over the years. Lots of things have been tested and tried around these issues. There have been some really interesting uh, examples that have come out around disaster response. Um, there's a, a fantastic application called Upsolve, which explains the bankruptcy process and actually lets people start putting together a bankruptcy application. And then the last step in this application is it will help that person send their pre-completed application through to a free legal service who will then help them settle and submit that application and potentially give them a bit of advice around it. So it's what I love about that example is it's a really integrated solution from information through to self-assistance and action through to linking someone to the right service that's going to have the right skills to give them a piece of discrete assistance so that they can really take action. So I, I think that example shows technology at its best um, and shows how you can integrate it and really think about the experience of the person that's in, that's interacting with the technology and put that experience at the heart of the design of the solution. Mm. We've, we've also been um, really looking at these questions in recent months because COVID-19, as we know, is, is creating some interesting factors that drive us towards digital solutions as a legal service provider right now. And those factors are we have rapidly increasing unmet legal need because we have increasing unemployment, we have increasing credit and debt problems, we have concerns around aged care and elder abuse. So we've got all these drivers of unmet legal need and at the same time we have restrictions on movement, we have some legal services that aren't able to operate at the scale that they usually would, people can't run drop-in clinics and so we are needing to pivot legal service provision into a digital online remote service provision context. And so we are really interested in exploring questions around how do we step into that void? How do we both scale up our services and move them as much as we can into this remote service provision context so that we can try to meet this, this really significantly emerging legal need? And the way that we've done this is we've looked at a few different factors. So we've looked at this information point. So we've done a really thoughtful online campaign where we've been using all different types of social media, closed group messaging, so that we can try to explain to people what some of these legal problems are. And then we're giving them actionable resources. So much like this Upsolve example in the United States, we have a tool called Dear Landlord that lets people draft their own letters to their landlord uh, explaining why they're unable to pay their rent, uh, asking for a rent reduction, asking for a payment plan, uh, and those letters are based on the actual legal rights that those people have at this point in time in the COVID-19 crisis. So it's, it's a really interesting space and there's a lot of opportunity, especially, especially right now. Mm.
Absolutely, lots of opportunity. One of the um, things that's come up through some of the reading that I've been doing is around trust uh, in technology, and, and, and it may be particularly the case in uh, for some marginalised groups that they lack trust um, uh, in governments and technology. So how can governments and other stakeholders build and foster trust in technology as a tool to access the justice services? Yeah, the, the trust point is is absolutely key. And it's a it's an interesting question, Dana. We've done quite a bit of research around this. Some people, their experience of an institution or an organization and the, the trust that they ascribe to that institution doesn't change whether they're having a phone-based or in-person based inter interaction versus an online based interaction but for some people it does. And interestingly, for some people, trust goes up in an online setting and for some people, trust goes down. Uh, we recently did a big survey of people who've applied for legal assistance online at Justice Connect and 66% of those people said their strong preference is to make applications online rather than in person or by phone. So all of this is to say there's actually not one answer people are people they all have different preferences and what we need to be able to do as a legal services organization as government is recognize that diversity of experience that diversity of preference and deliver services in a way that have a menu of options for engagement some people would prefer to engage online so we must have online access points for those people and increasingly there's a really big cohort of people who would rather engage online. But there is absolutely a cohort of people who want to eyeball someone or who want to hear someone's voice before they provide confidential information. And so we need to maintain those access points for those people for whom that is a really important thing. So we, we really need to be taking that human-centred design approach that has a menu of options. Mm. Um, with respect to government, I do think... There are some concerns that people have around what's government going to do with my data? Are government systems secure? Are government systems susceptible to hacking? And I do think government has some work to do to persuade people that their systems are secure, that they do have um, a track record around managing data well. Uh, and I think that um, that's on government to really to really do that work but they, they should be able to get there. And so, Kate, you mentioned before um, that clearly there's not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to individuals. We need to bring, you know, human-centred design thinking to um, all applications and different people want different things. But notwithstanding that, do you think that technology can facilitate the delivery of justice services in all legal domains or are some areas more prone to be addressed via traditional methods such as, say, maybe, you know, criminal cases? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Dan. I'm absolutely not an expert on court-based reform. So my, my interests lie in service delivery and in access questions. Um, court-based reform, I think, 
is an area of huge opportunity. But I do think there are some questions around the experience of witnesses, um, the experience of cross-examination, that there are some finer points there that I'm definitely not equipped to really comment on. Um, but I would say that I, th I think there's a tendency in the law to look for these areas where digital or look for barriers to digital transformation and kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think what we need to be doing is, is looking at there may well be areas where digital is not suitable, but there may well be within that same space areas where digital can add real efficiency. So it may be that in a criminal trial, and as I say, I'm not an expert here, but just by way of example, that you can do 60% of that trial on the papers remotely and then there are key moments in that trial that need to be done in person with everyone present um, but currently all of it's done together in person present um, and there there are obviously big parts of of the administration of justice that are carried out in courthouses in person that involve people waiting around that are highly inefficient for all involved and there's real opportunities for efficiency gains. Mm. And I'm really interested then in you know, seamless and, and integrated access, perhaps building on, on that point you've just made then as well, but how do you think technology can facilitate better triage of cases to identify you know, perhaps most, those that are most suitable um, legal and justice services that might be available? Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting area. It's, you know, inquiry, intake, triage is an area of huge burden for legal assistance organisations. I mean, at Justice Connect, we spend a huge amount of our time managing those parts of the process and we have created an online intake system. It handles about 30% of applications that are made to Justice Connect and what we've been able to do so far is automate certain points of the intake and triage process where things are really clear and where the distinction around whether someone is eligible or not is quite black and white, we can automate that. But there are obviously um, some elements of an intake and triage process that require some human judgment. And it's very difficult to completely automate those parts of the process. It's much like triage in a hospital. There are, there are some things where you could have a checklist and it would be quite easy to have some yes, no distinctions, but there are other components where you really need to look at someone and make an assessment based on having that person in front of you because you need to really eyeball them and think about their symptoms. It's, it's much the same with legal matters. Um, but it, it's a little bit like the example we were just talking about um, with court-based reform, um, just because you can't necessarily automate the whole process doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities for real gains in parts of the process. So for those people that apply online at Justice Connect, they can take their time, they can apply any time, day or night, they can upload all their documents. It takes them about 10 minutes. We have heard uh, from through our surveys of people that apply for us online, that they really appreciate the ability to do that, that it's convenient for them. As I said, 66% of them would prefer to apply in that way. And for our staff, it takes them less time to review those applications as well. Um, 
On the other hand, if you apply for assistance with Justice Connect and do a phone-based intake, the first phone call takes about 40 minutes on average to go through all the information gathering, even things just like spelling out your name, spelling out your address, it all takes time. So there, there are real opportunities, even if you can't do something the whole way through, there's opportunities to improve that experience. Thanks, Kate. And I know that some of our audience today will be really interested in identifying what works and they might be interested in uh, trialling, uh, you know, different services uh, or offerings at their own end. So can we maybe go back and sort of dive into a little bit more of the pros and cons of online justice services? Could you talk us through a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So in terms of providing an end-to-end -end service in an online setting, I guess what you need to do is handle that application and intake process and then there's the actual service delivery process. There's lots of opportunity to provide a full end-to-end -end service online or remotely um, and I'm, I'm sure many people are doing this in one way or another right now because of COVID, even if that's just using email and Zoom, you're already delivering online legal assistance. So there's there's no one way to do it. Um, and, and really the answer on how to implement it is dependent on exactly what the service is, who your target audience is, um, the type of assistance that you're providing. But the key points to think about are how do you get those requests through? How do you handle those requests? How do you batch them up and, and how do you do workflow allocation, how do you allocate them to different lawyers in your team, what supervision processes might you have in place, what reminder processes might you have in place. Um, and if you have a platform or a system facilitating it, who has access to it? Are you enabling the client to also access it so that they can share documents with you so that you can share advice? Um, there's lots of considerations there, but much of this is, you know, it's really reasonably straightforward. Um, the key ingredients are just to have a, a secure system um, and to make sure that you're thinking about what the client needs and to have a bit of flexibility. Terrific. Thanks, Kate. Um, I'm also interested in regulatory barriers um, to innovation. Uh, and to the use of technology in promoting access to justice. Are you able to talk us through, uh, uh, talk us through maybe some of the barriers that you're aware of perhaps in, in Australia or in other jurisdictions? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. Personally, I think the regulatory barriers to innovation are probably overstated. Um, and a, a really good example here is actually a piece of work that King and Wood Mallison's helped us with uh, earlier this year. So one of the big projects that my team has worked on at Justice Connect is our pro bono portal. And this is a platform-based system that helps us to allocate those matters that we can't assist with where we think pro bono has a role to play with pro bono lawyers in our network. Now, Justice Connect has a, a really large pro bono network and until we put this platform in place, the way we handled this allocation process was we literally had spreadsheets and we would ring up one firm at a time and we would play phone tag and we would try to find a firm that had the right expertise and could take the matter on 
And unsurprisingly, that process was not particularly efficient for either Justice Connect or for the firm involved or the multiple firms involved in each of those allocation processes. So we ended up building this platform and all the firms that we work with are on the platform, as is King and Wood Mallisons, and all our staff are also on the platform. They post up matters and we use algorithms to match up the matters with the firms, as well as having a range of other ways that we can do that matchmaking so we can send things directly. Uh, and we also have ways that firms can browse unplaced matters. Now, there's obviously quite a lot of sensitive information that's being handled in that platform. There's a lot of different cases in there at any one point in time. There's a lot of different firms using that platform at any point in time. Uh, and so there is some real complexity in there. And we certainly had some external parties say to us, what about the regs? What about the rules? And so we received some um, about the application of regulation to the platform before we launched it. Um, it was really thorough, excellent advice. And really interestingly, the advice said, do you know what, we think your platform handles the rules better than you can handle them without a platform. And so it's, there's often an assumption that technology puts you in a worse position than not using technology. Whereas in actual fact, technology, because it has permission structures and secure databases, can actually put you in a better position with respect to illegal regulation um, than an analogue approach. And when, when you think about it, it makes sense because if you have files out on desks, if you're sending things in the mail, there are so many opportunities for breaches of confidentiality, for information to get where it's not supposed to go um, as compared with a robust digital system. So it's it's a really interesting question and I do think that the constraints are perhaps overstated. Thanks, Kate. Uh, and, and really good to hear that our pro bono advice was of assistance to you and to Justice Connect. That's a good plug. Thank you. Uh, my final question today is, um, uh, is around uh, the successful use of technology. What, you know, what, what, what's actually required for successful use of technology in providing access to justice? Is it about the regulation piece that you've just spoken about? Is it the training of IT? Is it legal experts? Or is it a combination of all these things? Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. And it's something that we think about a lot at Justice Connect. Um, you know, if we go full circle back to your first question around um, are we facing a new industrial revolution in the legal sector, um, which I think we are, I think that Justice Connect and, and law firms like King and Wood Mallisons are probably more progressed along that transformation journey than some other organisations and therefore we're often asked to reflect on what were the ingredients that helped you get there earlier. And I think there's a real... Um, combination of ingredients that you need in place at once and I think there's probably a few things like that are that are more about mindsets so curiosity interest in opportunity um, interest in interdisciplinary thinking so I think to make use of technology you know you have to be comfortable to have conversations with tech people, with developers, with systems thinkers, and also with consumers. So, and you have to be able to put yourself into the um, client experience side of things as, 
as well as the the lawyer side of things. So I think there's there's a mindset piece, and then I think there is a capabilities piece. But to a certain extent, you you don't need too much of that capability. You really just need the ability to collaborate with those that have that capability, uh, which again comes back to mindsets. I do think lawyers are used to being the expert on everything. Uh, and so they are sometimes challenging collaborators, although I do think lawyers are getting better at this in my experience. Um, but I think they are very much used to telling people what to do rather than um, bringing that curiosity and that true interdisciplinary spirit into a collaboration. So I think that's the number one thing. Um, certainly it just affects we're always looking for people who are really open-minded, for people who might have had another career before being a lawyer, for um, people that get really excited about possibilities of things um, because I think that's that's what helps you thrive in, in the intersection of law and technology and, and this transformation that's happening. I really like that reference to curiosity, Kate, because that's really what this podcast is all about, is uh, arousing people's interests in, in topics and issues which are you know, core to the access to justice and, and broader social impact sectors. So thank you um, for sharing your insights and your tips today. It's been really fascinating to have the opportunity to discuss all things equal justice and technology with you. Uh, and I look forward to continuing the conversation with you after today. Yeah, we're very grateful for the collaboration that we have with King and with Mellisons. It's a very fruitful partnership. So thank you for all that you do. My name is Dan Creasy and I'm the Head of Pro Bono and Community Impact at Kingwood Mellisons. In this episode of People and Purpose, I had the pleasure of speaking with Peter Walton, CEO of Care Australia, and Diana Nicholson, Senior Partner at KWM and Director of Care Australia, about the challenges and opportunities facing the for-purpose sector in such uncertain times and how the organisation they lead is continually adapting and responding to change while mobilising broad support and staying focused on the short, medium and long-term goals of a leading international aid organisation that works around the globe to save lives and defeat poverty. Peter became CEO of Care Australia in January 2020. He has over 28 years of international experience seeking better outcomes in both international development and humanitarian activities. During his career, he has undertaken assignments in over 50 countries. Peter has held a number of senior roles in the humanitarian and development sector, including International Director with Save the Children Australia and Chief Executive of InfoExchange, an enterprise that uses technology in support of social impact and social justice. Immediately prior to joining Care Australia, Peter was the International Director with Australian Red, Red Cross and has led a transformation of its approach to better equip the organisation to maximise its impact and evolve in a rapidly changing environment. Diana is a senior partner in the mergers and acquisitions practice of Kingwood Mellisons. Her practice primarily involves securities, industry law, fundraising, acquisitions and takeovers, as well as the more general aspects of commercial law. 
Diana has held many roles at KWM, including partner in charge of the Melbourne Centre, and she is a long-standing board member of KWM Community Impact, our large-scale social impact program. In 2019, Diana was appointed to the board of Care Australia as a director, continuing her long history of supporting the communities in which she lives, works and operates. The three of us live in Melbourne, but because of COVID-19, we recorded this podcast from the safety of our respective home offices. I hope you enjoy this episode.